0: Hello and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast with me, Dr. Amy Burbridge. I'm an acute physician working in Coventry.
1: And I'm Dr. Hussein Bashir, I'm a registrar in the Kent Sorry Sussex Deanery.
0: This is a podcast about general medicine in association with the Education Department at the Royal College of Physicians. The aim of this podcast is to demystify medicine, to recap and clarify general medical topics, and we will also cover some interesting historical facts along the way. This episode is going to focus on hyponatremia. Now this is a condition I will freely admit Is not my strongest area. So I'm going to hand this over to Hussein.
1: Yeah, so we've chosen this just because it's uh, something that we all see uh, either on the take uh, or on the medical wards. Um, There are numerous guidelines out there, Uh, some are very trust specific, um, but the one thing in common they have is they're using up to date evidence. Um, and what a lot that uh, we speak about today will be derived from the european journal of endocrinology um, so we're just going to be kind of doing a very brief whistle stop tour of hyponatremia for the general physician how to identify it what tests to do and how to manage it um, so let's just start with a case um, actually this on reflection is one of the most recent ones i had as a registrar so we have a mrs willow Uh, She's an 85-year-old lady with a history of dementia. Uh, She's come into the A&E department with confusion. Uh, She's a very difficult historian, so we don't really have much of a presenting complaint. Um, But it's found that her sodium is 120. So she's referred to the medical team. So you're on call. You're about to see this lady. Uh, what would you like to do, or what other in- bits of information would you like to know?
0: Okay, so 85-year-old lady who has dementia, and she's more confused than normal, and is she? And she's in a nursing home. So the first thing I want to do is call the nursing home. Yeah. I want to get a collateral history, because um, although you said she's a difficult historian, um, is there such thing as a difficult historian, or are we just poor history takers? So, okay, we may not be able to get a clear history from the patient, but let's get a carer or family member or the the nursing home. Okay, so that's the first thing I would do. Um, Obviously after I've resuscitated her and stabilized her, ABCDE, that's really key. So um, when I've done my ABCDE, collateral history, things that I want to know about are how long has the confusion been going on? Is it worse at any particular time of the day or night? um has she recently been started on any new medication has any medication recently been stopped any symptoms suggestive of infection so cough colds headaches fevers any urinary tract symptoms any evidence of cellulitis so things that i'm looking at could be causing confusion check a glucose pretty rapidly is this all due to hyperglycemia that's causing the the um confusion however you did throw in a little nugget there of a sodium 120 now she's hyponatremic i don't know whether this is an acute hyponatremia or a chronic hyponatremia so i do need to find out a little bit more just some more blood tests to find out what's going on there as well
1: yeah absolutely so some very pertinent points that you've raised there, and i think that's ultimately the key learning point is that you can gain so much from good history taking Absolutely. Um, yeah. so yes okay we know she's hyponatremic so there are certain things in the history that we want to know so yes if she's from a nursing home we want to know has she had any illnesses like infection as you said has she had any GI upsets such as nausea or diarrhea
0: is she losing her sodium through vomiting absolutely yeah
1: what her eating habits are has she been eating and drinking normally um, as you've alluded to, you know, has he had any medication changes, anything that's been introduced or stopped? Um, and yes, with any patient of that age, particularly if they have a history of dementia, you want to know uh, what's the trajectory of the confusion? Is it acute? Is it chronic? Is it acute on chronic? Is it a stepwise deterioration? Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things that need to be uh, ascertained from a decent history. Yeah. One of the key things um, to know about hyponatremia in the LD in particular is that it's often multifactorial. Mm-hmm. So sometimes whilst you can get clues in the history about what's the cause, often there are multiple factors at play. Um, so we've got a bit of a history. Um, she's been eating and drinking normally, no obvious illnesses yeah. such as infection. Yeah. Um, so you're going to be moving on to examination.
0: So okay. what would you
1: like to know from the examination?
0: Okay. So first of all, um, key thing I want to know is what's her fluid status like? So really important because when we're looking at the causes of um, hyponatremia is this hypovolemic hyponatremia. So is she very, very dehydrated? Is this hypervolemic hyponatremia? So is she sort of over is she got too much fluid on the system or is she uvilemic hyponatremia so i really want to look at her fluid status okay so as a registrar how would you teach medical students how to check fluid status
1: yeah so assessing fluid status uh can be done in a variety of ways and i think there's there's kind of two approaches that i would use or teach to my students um firstly is looking at the patients are doing um Particular examinations looking at things like skin turga, uh, looking at dry mucous membranes, uh, cat refill, state of their skin. Um, You can kind of tell if someone's very dehydrated, they do have this kind of dry, crisp appearance and things, but um, it's uh, very much a physical examination is important. Mm. Um, Weight as well? Weight, yeah, exactly. Weight changes? Yeah, so you you want to do stuff away from the patients so kind of bedside tests so postural bp yeah. um obviously looking at the heart rate are they tachycardic looking at their weight um for those patients who are kind of longer term in hospital or indeed nursing homes so fluid input and output charts um looking at the dietary requirements and whether they've actually had adequate intake mm-hmm. so there's lots and lots of things that can inform um someone's fluid status um, I'd also go the other way as well. So, you know, we've obviously mentioned lots of things to see if they're dehydrated, but also hypervolemia yeah. uh, is important to look for, rule out um, with low sodium. So, um, in my head, I always remember all the failures. So, you're looking for heart failure have they got, you know, fluid on the lungs, pulmonary edema, uh, raised JVP, any pitting edema of the legs? Um, you want to look for stigmata of liver failure or, or kidney failure in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the tricky thing uh, is when they've got a low sodium and they're uvolemic so Mm -hmm. they've got no signs saying that they've got fluid overload or that they're dehydrated Um, and that's when it becomes a little bit more of a challenge clinically Mm -hmm. and kind of suggesting at the end of the bed um, about what they have Um, but that is where your tests uh, come in handy so um, i've only mentioned a sodium uh, Mm -hmm. for you what are the tests would you like to have
0: so first of all um i want to know is she is she hypovolemic hypervolemic or uvolemic
1: so let's say she's uvolemic
0: okay so she's uvolemic which means her fluid status is acceptable that's absolutely fine so causes of uvolemic um, hyponatremia are medications in particular so diuretics um, although they can also cause hypovolemic, they can also cause at a normal dose um, uvolemic. Um, so has she been on um, bendiflumazide or fruzamide? Antidepressants, that can also cause euvolemic hyponatremia. Um, now we need to think about syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone secretion. ADH or vasopressin um, is released from the posterior pituitary gland and this can have an impact on fluid retention or fluid excretion so if we've got too much adh being secreted it's usually a result of malignancy particularly small cell lung cancers or gi um gastrointestinal malignancies is it does she have an underlying central nervous system disorder meningitis she's been confused um, she's not been herself. Does she, is she meningitic? Does she have encephalitis? Um, pneumonia, potentially. Other more sort of non specific causes, pain, nausea, stress, anesthesia, these can all cause uvolemic hyponatremia. Yeah. Um, so sort of when I've thought about the particular causes, then I can think about how I'm going to go and investigate this uvolemic hyponatremia. So, things that I want to look at are sodium. So you've told me what her sodium is. Yeah. Then I want to look at her urea and electrolytes. So look at her potassium, look at her creatinine and urea. So that's going to help to tell me if she's dehydrated. Um, particularly if she was mineralo mineralocorticoid deficiency. So yeah. Addison's disease can cause um, low sodium and high potassium. So it's important to look at that and can also cause low glucose as well. That's things to look at and then we 're going to go into the get into the nitty gritty of hypernatremia, serum osmolality yeah. urinary osmolality and urinary sodium yeah so those are the key things that I want to look at
1: yeah I think and it's really important it's just one thing that I use in practice if you 're going to be ordering one you've got to order all three so yes paired osmolality but a paired osmolality with a spot urinary sodium at the same time is what is going to be most useful in your diagnosis. Um, that was very comprehensive, actually. There's, there's quite a few points that I, I just wanted to highlight again. is, is actually um, the sodium level itself at 120. Is that low or high? So actually, we know that a normal sodium level is about 134 to 145 millimoles per litre anything below 130 is significant Mm -hmm. however we don't normally see severe symptoms or signs such as neurological disturbance unless it's below 125. Um, so obviously for this lady it is significant both from a biochemical um, and a symptom point of view doubly sort of exacerbated by her existing cognitive impairment Mm -hmm. Um, and yes you quite rightly said that things like antidepressants uh, anticonvulsants uh, diuretics and also PPIs can have an effect um, on the sodium level itself okay, yeah. um, you've quite rightly mentioned that you're concerned about SIADH in the uvolemic patient and um, so obviously from the history she's not hypovolemic so we're not worried about GI losses or uh, renal losses but with Uvolema yes it's quite right to think about SIADH mm-hmm. um, so the diagnostic criteria for this is that they have to be clinically euvolemic. So you've ruled out the other stuff that we've just talked about. Their serum osmolality is low, so below 270. And they have inappropriately concentrated urine of above 100. Uh, Usually, uh, this can actually be quite high. So normally, it's actually usually over 300 uh, milliosmoles per kilogram that we see. And the reason that the spot sodium is useful is because you have an increased urinary sodium of above 20 millimoles per litre um, now of course you have to rule out all the other things as you said you wanted to do other tests so um looking at things like renal insufficiency so you know urine creatinine ratio um the thyroid um rule out any adrenal insufficiency as well um one note of caution is if the patient is on diuresis already you just have to interpret their electrolytes um of with course. with some caution um and obviously, if you have no access to any medical records, you're worried about the result, always repeat it to make sure it's not taken from a dripper or something like that.
0: And also, thinking about um, is that sodium actually correct? Think about pseudo hyponatremia. So, um, I know that certainly people with a high cholesterol level or people with very high protein, so those with multiple myeloma, can also get um, falsely low sodium levels. So, if somebody's got multiple myeloma, or they have very, very high cholesterol, again, interpret the sodium with caution and just be aware that that's a possible cause of hyponatremia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've done things to ascertain the causes of it. Um, would you bef- do a CT? Very good question. So I, I think I would do normal imaging first. Okay. So obviously chest X-ray, yeah. rule out pneumonia, rule out an obvious lung malignancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we've diagnosed SIADH, um, and you're thinking, that, is this due to a malignancy? Yeah. Um, then yes, but I think it's, it's very much you've got to use everything to inform it. So the history, past medical history, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, just before I go on to the uh, kind of nitty gritty treatment, yeah. um, just for instance, say if this lady uh, came in unconscious and her sodium was even lower at, say, 105, okay. would that change what you do initially? so obviously we talked about blood tests you think about fluid balance and fluid restriction but in a very severely acute setting what would you do
0: so sodium of 105 is phenomenally low although the lowest i've ever seen was 95. wow yeah which was astonishing um so the key thing that i'm worried about is this is probably an acute drop in sodium so she's probably got a chronic hyponatremia that has all of a sudden become an acute drop who knows the reason why? Infection could have been anything. Um, so the thing that I'm really concerned about is cerebral edema. So cerebral edema particularly occurs very frequently when hyponatremia develops acutely. So patients with cerebral edema may have a coma, they may have altered mental status, they may have seizures, they may have very severe nausea, vomiting, and they really need to be treated very promptly with hypotonic saline and this they need to reduce your sale your sodium levels not too rapidly because again, not sorry you need to increase your sodium levels um but this needs to be done in a critical care setting so it can't be done in recess or on your ambulatory care yeah, unit
1: absolutely so the key thing from the the recent guy nice is that and as we all know is severe hyponatremia is a medical emergency yeah, absolutely so you need to be involving high level care uh, straight away um Severe hyponatremia is obviously when it's below one twenty, and yeah, an extreme of ninety eight—that is a uh, pretty, pretty worrying. Yeah, and
0: I have to say it's because you don't see it very often. It was about definitely engaging the right people, speaking to the endocrinologists, and figuring yeah. out what the best thing to do was.
1: And in my experience, it's the ITU uh, units that are going to be stocking the sort of higher uh, yeah. concentration of saline. So we're looking at either two point seven percent sodium chloride or or three percent. Um, you want to ideally do this through uh, a central line um, to avoid the risk of extravasation injury. And yes, you do need regular monitoring of sodium at sort of two hours, four hours, six hours, twelve hours, and making sure that you're not rising it raising it too quickly. Um, however, the aim of treatment is to improve symptoms rather than chasing a number. So it's we very That's much really good thought. Yeah, we very much yeah. want to reverse. You know the unconscious state or if it's if they're alert you know the confusion aspect
0: yeah and i think it's what i learned from my case of the patient who had the sodium of 90 very 95 98 was that actually you gave it in boluses the hypotonic saline so it was 100 to 300 mils of hypertonic saline um giving it about 100 mil increments over 10 at 10 minutes um and keeping a very cautious eye on that sodium yeah yeah
1: brilliant Um, So that's a really good uh, just recap of how to treat severe hyponatremia um, in an emergency setting. Um, Obviously, hypovolemia, you're going to be replenishing them with fluids. That's when you use your usual 0.9% sodium chloride and monitor. Hypovolemia is kind of the opposite. So you you ultimately want to treat the underlying core. So if it's heart failure related, you want to use diuretics. Um, But for the euvolemic patient, so say if we say this lady has... SIADH okay um, she doesn't have those severe features. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done all the tests, so we've ruled out you know any thyroid abnormality, um, we've done synain tests which have come back normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but her sodium is still low despite fiddling with her fluid balances. you know she's had a bit of fluid restriction. she's also had a bit of fluid given, but sodium's kind of remaining static for a number of days now. Um, what kind of treatments do you think are?
0: So, first of all, I want to ensure that she's actually having that fluid restriction. So um, it should ideally be a liter a day fluid restriction. Um, it's really difficult, particularly when patients are elderly or it's it to um, or do have underlying dementia or confusion issues to get them to adhere to that particular fluid restriction. Or sometimes even the label at the back of the beds fell off. So patients aren't being fluid restricted. So if that's been done and they've been having that fluid restriction and you've treated the underlying cause, you've stopped their antidepressants, you've stopped the treatment, Um, then I'm going to want to think about um, one of the vasopressin receptor antagonists. So you want to stop that ADH working. You've got too much of it, you are reabsorbing too much fluid and therefore I need to stop the ADH working. So I'm going to use Tolvaptan
1: uh yeah so we've got a couple of things um which have, have been mentioned and i think are becoming more common uh place and easily to get hold of whereas i remember when i started um as a core medical trainee vaptans were kind of quite new mm-hmm. in yeah. the uk but yeah. uh, the thing that we normally would go to and i'm sure most endocrinologists um will give a go is of doxycycline. Oh, um great. so it's actually a tetracycline uh antibiotic but it actually has an action um that inhibits uh, ADH receptors, as, as you've just mentioned, um, so that can take a number of days to work. Um, however, you quite rightly said that tolvaptan is the kind of um, the more uh, advanced treatment that we do have mm-hmm. nowadays. So they are selective antagonists of vasopressin two receptors uh, in the renal tubule, and essentially what they do is they decrease the expression of water channels, um, so kind of allows an increase in free water clearance. Um, however, in my limited experience, it seems, tends to work a little bit quicker than um by a, f- a few days. So it's important that you do keep monitoring um, your sodium sort of at, at regular intervals. Um, but yes, those are the two kind of medical treatments of, of SIDH. It's an interesting thing you mentioned about um Do you do a CT scan? Mm. Um, So yes, obviously in the severe cases, you want to look for cerebral edema. But if you're thinking about SIADH, it's important to think why. So we've already covered things like covering things like infection or recent stresses. Um, But the other common thing is malignancy. So has this lady got a a lung malignancy or something intra-abdominal perhaps, which is precipitating it? Um, Sometimes you don't find a cause. It's it's just happened. But um, that's obviously when we use our... um, specialist uh, endocrine colleagues to kind of follow them up
0: what about if we overcorrect the sodium
1: yeah so it's something that uh, i've read about so obviously if you correct sodium rapidly um you're at risk of central pontine uh demyelination um it's not something that i've come across personally um but it's obviously something that that's the reason that we monitor sodiums at very regular intervals mm-hmm is there something that you've seen
0: um i've seen one case um and it was a young girl in her 30s who had been quite a heavy alcohol drinker and came in with a very low sodium the sodium was i think obviously trying to do the right thing was completely overcorrected very very quickly it should have be we should correct about 8 millimoles of sodium a day it should increase by this was probably 20 millimoles and then she had just very odd behavior um walking. She was a little bit ataxic. Um, balance was a little bit off. Um, she was a little bit confused, more than normal. And um, we did an MRI scan and it showed the central pontine um, myelinolysis, um, a classic of this. So um, it was it's pretty devastating actually, um, because it was something that we'd caused. And it certainly made me more cautious that it's best to undercorrect problem rather than overcorrect, um, And also to regularly check the sodium yeah. when you are correcting, definitely.
1: And that little nugget that you said about uh, an alcohol history, yes. uh, really important because I think um, these kind of rises, quick rises in sodium are probably more likely in people who have an underlying uh, liver disease or, or pathology.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: and it just kind of makes us aware of actually how complex sometimes this can be because you know liver failure can cause a hypo hypervolemic state as you say so it's just all these little things just to be aware of and put all the pieces together yeah
0: and if they do if you do pick up that diagnosis allow free water stop the food restriction because you no longer want their sodium to um you know rise so rapidly and you can actually use desmopressin um which can be quite useful as well if it's available yeah. that's also
1: fantastic so a very quick uh, whistle top store of uh, hyponatremia for the general physician um, certainly the things that uh, I found useful uh, just to recap with these new guidelines was the, kind of the sodium ranges, how to treat severe hyponatremia uh, as a medical emergency. Um, and I'm sure all of the trust that you guys work at, you'll have your own little algorithm that you can refer to. Uh, my key take home points are assess the volume status, take a good history. Uh, and when you're sh- uh, sending off a paired osmolalities, make sure you do a spot urinary sodium as well.
0: Yep, And I think from my perspective, um, things that is certainly recapped is the importance of somebody's very hyponatremic that you do it slowly rather than rapid overcorrection. And then actually, um, I see hyponatremia every single day. Um, chronic or acute, particularly chronic is very common, but actually I think we, as general physicians, particularly we may overlook it sometimes, but there is significant mortality and morbidity associated with homo- hyponatremia more frequent falls, more morbidity increased length of hospital stay and in addition to that chronic hyponatremia can also contribute to osteoporosis so there's lots of little things that go on that i think we need to be really aware of
1: yeah and you've made a really good point there's that sometimes we do overlook it and and the key thing is that we want to be treating these cases before they drop too low that they then develop um, symptoms that affect their uh, daily routine and
0: always check the drug chart every single day because you never know what drugs the patient's on that could be contributing to the electrolyte abnormalities
1: brilliant thanks very much amy
0: thank you for listening to the rcp medicine podcast if you want to get in touch email us at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or tweet us at rcplondon and we look forward to hearing from you goodbye